Hi, everyone, and welcome to Recovering the Pines podcast show. I'm one of the co-hosts, Brandon Lee, along with my other co-hosts, Albert Black and Doug Dolan, co-founders and co-owners of Recovering the Pines in Arizona, up in Prescott, Arizona. Good to see you guys back here. Good to Thank see you, you again, All right. Brandon. So episode number three, we're really going to focus on trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. for me, and what I've kind of come to realize um, is that trauma really is the gateway to substance use disorder. It's one of the reasons, the triggering moments, traumatic moments are the reasons why people go into fight or flight mm-hmm. and a lot of folks begin to numb out, mm-hmm. um, whether it be childhood trauma that surfaces later on in life. Um, but really to me, trauma is the gateway. Um, and so I just want to kind of, you know, talk to you both about the impacts of trauma, how it, what it does to us, but also where it plays in the role to recovery. Right. So, I'm just starting to identify with trauma. Um, You know, a lot of people, I think, don't realize they have trauma. Again, my biological father wasn't in my life. That's traumatic. Um, My parents were divorced. That's traumatic. My mom remarried and my dad committed suicide. That's trauma. Now I'm a I'm a Type A personality and you, don't you know say. very confident <laughs> and, and but I don't realize how those things set me on a path and I'm 56 today and I'm just starting to deal with my trauma. I used to think it's no big deal. I'm it doesn't matter. It does matter. You know I have this anger like it comes out. It manifests. Trauma manifests in all different kinds of way. For me, it tends to show up in anger. I get angry real quick. And it's not, it's not that, uh, you know, it could be something real trivial today that sets me off, but I think it's what started in my childhood that's on a cellular level that I'm just reacting to, to rejection, to abandonment, to all of these things. And again, it manifests different today, but uh, trauma is real. And it's, it's, it's actually hard to say. You know, I'm still having a hard time kind of chewing on that, but Brandon, you actually... Uh, introduced me to someone that's playing a significant role in my life that's helping me deal with that. And then it's like, this is real. It is a real thing. And, it, and I see it's, it's got a, a lot of people captive. They don't even realize it. And they're, they're just so controlled by this childhood trauma. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I did experience a lot of child abuse um, in my early formative years you know, but when I was 19, 20 years old, living in New York City, right, surviving 9-11, um, you know, and being on the subway and trapped underground that morning because I lived down on, near Wall Street and was on my way to 30 Rock where I was still an intern at the Today Show, right? But even then, you know, surviving 9-11 and, and experiencing the things I did in that day and the weeks following, I was such a pro at going into survival mode mm-hmm. that I just used my frontal lobe and I suppressed that even more. And I just rationalized. I said, you know what, Brandon, people have lost loved ones. People died. You have, you're alive. Like you have nothing to complain about. Continue on. Right. And so I didn't realize that all of those traumas from early on up until 9-11 and all those things was still playing such a huge role in how much I was abusing drugs, how much I was abusing alcohol and constantly going into fight or flight and numbing out. Yeah. You know, uh, there's different studies out there that look at how many decisions do we make in a day? And I think it was Cornell came out with a study that they did that the average human being makes about 35,000 decisions in a day. And I've seen other studies that say, hey, 40 to 60,000. I would say probably 98% of those decisions, people are on autopilot. 
And do they know that they're on autopilot that's being activated by things of trauma? Now, people who haven't been through it or don't believe in it may just look at it as just get over it. It's no big deal. It's not real or things of that nature. And so I get they don't understand it. And identifying the trauma isn't to victimize me. It's actually to empower me. It's a way that if I become aware of it, and I can accept certain things. I can now make choices of the actions that I'm going to get into. Whereas if I'm on autopilot, I don't even understand how this is really driving me, right? And so it's really taking that look and getting into different ways to understand where have I possibly been traumatized. And for the ones that, you know, maybe from a male point of view that think, hey, guys don't get traumatized, go talk to guys in special forces, you know, that come out of wartime situations. So here are guys that are apex predators, basically, you know, in our world, and they've been affected by these events. So trauma is a very real thing. And if we don't pay attention to it, it may not be the thing that led to me abusing substances, but stick around with it long enough and you may experience it later on, which may get you even deeper or more connected to abusing substances. I think one of the the things that we fall into this trap with is that we compare traumas, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yep. We look at somebody else's life, you know, and when I share my story and I speak around the country, I always make sure to tell people, do not ever compare what happened to you as a child compared to what, and go, well, mine wasn't as bad as Brandon. So like, I have nothing to complain about. No, trauma is trauma. And the impact it has on the wiring of our brain and our bodies is the same. Depend, it doesn't depend on the level of trauma to what other people may view that as, right? Right. And I think that's where some people get stuck. And then there's a disassociation that takes place. The older we get, you're like, oh man, that happened to me when I was like 10 years old. Come on, man. I'm over it. That, that No, no, that, I, I'm over it. I, I can handle that. That's not impacting me today. And I think, Albert, that's something that you can probably relate to. Right. What well, you just described it perfectly. Again, I had this trauma and for the, for the longest time, I didn't believe it. Well, I think you said, I just didn't believe. <laughs> I'm like, what's the big deal? Like, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of violent things happen to me, but those things are violent emotionally, you know, and as yes. a child, you don't know. I just, I just knew that things weren't the way they were supposed to be. Again, I'm grateful for, for my dad that my mom remarried and I had this great dad and he loved me, but he was a white Irish guy and I'm Mexican. And so I never felt okay. I always felt like there is something wrong with me. I'm not like everybody else. I felt like I was living a lie. And that's traumatic as a young person. And it just set me on a trajectory, you know, to, um, to over succeed, to always have to look good, to, uh, you know, sports and always all of that stuff that goes along with that. So, you know, and I didn't even know it was happening to me. And then it carries on into your adulthood and into my marriage and into being a dad. And, and now today I just recognize how I, my buttons are being pushed on mm -hmm. just a cellular level. Not because I'm thinking about that or I'm feeling bad about my dad's suicide. I, I don't think about it unless I talk about it, but there's things that just happened to me that I don't even know are happening to me. And I always tell people, if you're easily triggered, mm -hmm. okay, like mm -hmm. if you, that just means your body has been constantly running and operating in fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And it, it means that you have so much unresolved traumas from your past that the things that are triggering your t you today should not elicit that kind of reaction, right? right. Yes. 
it's but it's your body's natural way of reacting because you haven't addressed and healed from all those past traumas. Right. And and it goes back to the same thing that I always say that I I truly believe one of the reasons why we see so much relapse is because we're not healing the actual trauma. We can teach you the skills and you know, I always say society in a whole should live by the 12 steps and the the principles of the program because they're great life principles not just for addicts but for everybody, right? So we can teach you those things to like help you not pick up and use, right? But until you heal from the trauma, you're always going to be operating in fight or flight. Now it looks different for everybody, right? So as a child, we don't have the ability to fight back. You know, I didn't have the ability to fight back against my child molesters at that time, right? So in my fight or flight, I became an overachiever, right? My parents weren't always necessarily there. So to get their attention, I would have to overachieve both academically and athletically, Mm -hmm. which set me up to be a very high functioning addict, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like was still a news anchor, was still doing that. I think today there are some things I need to work on because I still... (laughs) put way too much on my plate, right? Thinking like I have to achieve a lot in order to feel complete. Yeah. You know, two other things to that fight or flight mode is also freeze and fawn. Yes. You know, some of us go into freeze mode. We panic. We don't know which direction to go in. We don't know how to move forward. The fawn is the people that get into people pleasing mode. Mm. You know, I feel very wounded on the inside. How do I just make people okay with me on the outside? And those can be trauma responses as well. Yes. Right. So it's taking a look at all those activations and getting curious, like, where is this coming from? And if you are somebody who's been through trauma, don't try to go through it on your own. You know, it really takes somebody who understands how to walk you through that process in order to help you heal. Most people aren't going to figure it out on their own because there's also fail-safes in the brain where the brain shuts off certain things. So you don't intellectualize it and then feel it. You feel it and then you work on where is this coming from? How do I wire together the body with the brain? And so I would highly recommend that you get somebody who's adept at uh, trauma therapy or something of that nature. It's, I met this woman and she was in her fifties and, um, actually met her at art of our soul and she was in treatment and she was, um, you know, in her mid fifties and everyone else in the room, I want to say was like in their twenties at this treatment center. And, you know, and I talked to her a little bit about her past and she goes, you know, I became an alcoholic in my fifties, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I started asking her and she goes, you know, I just, I, I just picked up one day in my 50s and she hadn't made the correlation yet mm. to a lot of the traumas that she has experienced as a child. And she was a people pleaser, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and if you're listening right now and, and you fit the traits of a people pleaser, um, really start to look inward because one day that's going to catch up with you because yep. Yep. that's usually a broken spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Again, as you just very eloquently, you know, described a people pleaser is that they're trying to to comfort that by getting people just to like them. Right. Rather than them sitting within themselves and kind of healing that part. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, you know, a very big part of it. And I think people really need to kind of take a look at like you said earlier, I'm not competing with somebody else, or if I don't believe I have trauma, I'm not going to judge somebody else who's been through it because they're not the same person. They haven't gone through the same experiences. They may not have the same beliefs or perceptions. Like we're all going through life 
filtering it through a certain lens. And some of that's based upon our personality style. Some of that's based upon our attachment style. Some of it's of our nature. Some of it's our nurture. And we're not all put together the same way. So how a particular event is going to impact one versus person versus another who are going through the same thing isn't going to come out the same way. So again, in my family, I'm third of seven kids. My two older brothers and I are very close in age. We were kind of raised as a clump. We were kind yeah. of, you know, went through a lot of life experiences together. And so how I remember some of those experiences or how I process those were very different from my two older brothers. And my, you know, my mom would ask me, what did we do wrong? And it isn't that she did anything wrong. I just processed it in a very different way. So, so we talk about how to heal trauma and, you know, we're going to get, you know, the further along we get with each episode, we're going to go into really the granular mm -hmm. of each mm -hmm. modality that helps you get past the frontal lobe to the amygdala. That's where, by the way, we store those traumatic memories, right? Mm -hmm. And talk therapy doesn't get you past that, right? Talk therapy has definitely plays a role mm -hmm. in, um, in our road to recovery. But I always say for me, talk therapy has been great uh, to process the stuff that I've done, mm -hmm. you know, through somatic experiencing or with EMDR mm -hmm. or with shamanism, right? To get past to that, you mm -hmm. know, into those things. But tell me why, because re recovering the primes is not a 30 day treatment program. You don't go there for 30 days and you graduate and you're, and you're back on there. This is six months to a year. Correct. Um, and, and why is that important when it comes to actually trauma healing? Well, I think, well, one, I think it's just common sense. You know, the, what's going on out there, no one's going to heal or change in 30, 60, 90 days. That's the treatment model, pretty much. That's the standard treatment model. When I started thinking about putting a program together, I knew that it, it needed to be long term. And I, and I was just trying to, I, I took a year off. I closed my businesses. I didn't work for a year. And I was still crazy. You know, I was still hadn't healed or gotten better, but I was just on this, this path. So I think, you know, the time is a big uh, key factor to, to healing. It just takes time. I'm 11 and a half years sober and I'm just starting each year. It seems like I tackle a new thing. Mm -hmm. Again, you introduced me to someone that I've started working with that is amazing. And within you know, my second meeting, this person, I was bawling like a baby and, and talking about things I didn't want to talk about. Yeah. And so it just takes time. Uh, getting well takes time. It does. Period. And I always tell people too, there was never any science that was used to figure out the 30-day model. Like that was created by the payers, the insurance companies. And it's just the truth. It was never rooted in science as the ability to heal someone from trauma and addiction. So the payers are like, well, we'll do 30 days because that's what we're going to, you know, it was all based on finances. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. there is a big come to Jesus moment right now within all the payers because what they're finally realizing is, <laughs> yeah, we pay all this money for somebody to go to 30-day treatment. And guess what? Two months later, we're paying for them to go back into 30-day residential. And two months after that, we're going, it's just this repeated cycle. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the 30, 60, 90-day model in and of itself typically does not work. Those first 30 days is triage. Like, Come on, dude. You've been high or drunk for how many years? Like, we got to detox you. Well, that takes a week or two. Then we got to get you back on having just a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's all triaging. Like, you can't actually Absolutely. get past the frontal lobe in the first 30 days. Right. Yeah. Most people are looking for cheap, 
cheap, quick, and fast. And it and doesn't that, that doesn't work. work. It doesn't and exist. It, again, insurance companies now they're realizing they're paying more money. Correct. You know, ER visits and ICUs and helicopter rides and crashes and all those things that they're paying for if they just do it right. Spend a little time. more money up front. Correct. It'll save them in the long run. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening right now within the system. They're just realizing. Also, we're becoming more trauma-informed. And I think we're understanding the brain and the impacts of trauma. And, and I think we're understanding that a little bit more mm-hmm. um, in, in helping people heal. And there's other modalities that are now being used um, in understanding that abstinence may not be the only way to help somebody heal from their tra- trauma, which is why, you know, in some forms of very intent lead psilocybin are coming mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. Um, with a therapist, you know, with intent to help people get past that frontal lobe, right? It's always, I always tell people really, it's how can we get this person past the frontal lobe in order to do the real work within their brain and their body? Right. And to be able to do that inside of 30 days isn't realistic. You can stabilize somebody potentially inside of 30 days enough that you can start to maybe investigate some things. And once you investigate some things, then you can teach them certain skills that they can start to implement, but then you got to implement that for an extended period of time because nobody masters something just doing it one time. You need to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And until you see them take on certain things of new habits and you can see some, some control, some, some sense of agency, you know, uh, something where you can see the individual can manage certain things on their own, that isn't going to happen inside of 30 days. So you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a big pay model. And unfortunately, part of what it also does is it sets people up to have very little kind of, um, uh, what would be the right word? Belief. Belief. Belief in that it actually works. And that, that it actually works, which was the case with my brother unfortunately, but also any kind of endurance or any kind of patience towards something, right? Everybody wants everything fixed inside of 30 days. And like Albert mentioned, you know, he's dealing with this now in his mid fifties. This is something where time doesn't heal all wounds. If you do nothing with it, as a matter of fact, it can make you sicker. And now you've got to do so much more work. And now is Albert bad because he can't figure it out in his fifties inside of 30 days and just suddenly transform his life. It's just setting people up to fail. And that, that brings us to generational trauma. You know, and what is generational trauma? Well, it's this, right? You know, that old saying, uh, I'll I'll give you something to cry about. Uh, Don't cry over spilled milk, right? Don't air your dirty laundry, right? All of those sayings that our parents and our grandparents' generations taught us essentially is saying, don't let the world know your life isn't perfect. Don't let the world know that you're hurting inside. Toughen up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps is a very popular one as well. All that's really telling you is just suppress it. Suppress it down further into your body and act like you're not bothered by it. The problem is eventually that's all going to come out and your life's going to go sideways. (laughs) The other thing with generational trauma in that what's really helped me flip the perspective I have on my parents Mm -hmm. and really lose all resentment and Mm -hmm. love them unconditionally Mm -hmm. in a different Mm -hmm. way is understanding generational trauma. And that my parents' generation, vulnerability was always looked at as a weakness and not a strength. Okay. My parents suffered immense trauma as children themselves. Okay. They were never given the chance in the society that they were raised in to heal from that. So what did they do? They unknowingly pass that trauma down to me, right? And so what I tell people is that 
I know my parents love me. I know my parents love me unconditionally. I, my parents love me in the only way they knew how to love me. Is it what I want? No. Is it what I need? No. But I know the did they did the best they could with what they had access to and what society allowed them to do. And I tell people, if you right now on this journey of your life do not take this opportunity to heal from whatever cuts have made you bleed, I promise you this, you will bleed on others who have never hurt you. You will pass down the trauma that was passed down to you. You want to be a good dad? Heal from the cuts that made you bleed. You want to be a good husband? Heal from that trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, one other area where that plays a role is if you do studies uh, around attachment styles. So there's four primary attachment styles. There's secure, there's avoidant, there's anxious, and there's disorganized. And how they show that is definitely passed along generationally until somebody becomes aware of it and they start to do work on it. So in that trauma, it can produce where somebody has a disorganized style, which means, hey, I would go to my caregivers as an infant or as a young child, but I might get beat for that when I wanted to get my needs met. And now I don't know how to get those needs met in relationships with other people. And so I'm going to carry those on and I'm likely to pass it along to my children as well. And so these are things that definitely without, you know, the proper work, the awareness, the acceptance of things, you got into acceptance of your parents instead of having resentment, which is saying, I see how you got this way. Although I didn't feel my needs were being met, I better understand where you were at. So there's just a lot of work to do along that as well. And that took more than a decade yes. for me yeah. to, to find that. And I don't want somebody else, that's why I'm speaking out about it, right? Is like the moment yep. I've learned something that works for me, now I want to speak more about it because no, I, I don't want somebody else to have to wait a decade in order for them to experience that kind of growth, right? right? That kind of yep. perspective on life. Yep. Right. I think we just need to start talking about this. You know, this is something new for me, yeah. these podcasts and the, the video that we've done recently. And I've got an overwhelming positive response. Like I shared some real vulnerable things yeah. and uh, some painful things and some embarrassing things. And we're just getting started, you know, but I feel that there's a lot of men out there that are just hurting right now. And and really, you know, as I'm listening to you guys, the the thoughts that are coming to me is, I just want to be a better husband and a better father. You know, I didn't try to hurt my wife and my kids, but that my father, my dad was an alcoholic and these things that were done to me, not because anyone was trying to harm me intentionally, but life yeah. and other people's decisions, things were placed on me and I've placed them on my family and I don't want to do that anymore. One of the other things, you know, that you mentioned is like in your own experience, how you were traumatized and you didn't have any control over it. You couldn't fight back. You know, this is where sometimes people will find themselves in the same kind of situations later on in life, like women who might grow up under uh, watching their father abuse their mom. And mm. how did they end up in an abusive relationship, you know, themselves where people will say, well, you grew up under this. How did you not see this? Because that's the only thing their body knows, that, right? And, Even though they don't like it. That's right. But until you stand against it and heal from it, you will become it. 
And so there's that aspect. Part of it is we become blind to certain things as a protection mechanism. And part of it on a subconscious level is because I didn't have control as a child and I couldn't affect the outcome of that, I'm now almost role-playing this again in the present moment as an adult so I can feel like I've gained control. I've resolved something. Not saying it's the healthiest way of doing it, right? But that's one of the reasons why people will find themselves in similar circumstances later on in life. Yeah. It's like that cycle of trauma continues to play out, right? And it's getting somebody out of that cycle, which is like the cycle of addiction, right? In that cycle, it's it's finding out where that trauma lies and getting us to be aware of it and then Mm -hmm. to go back and heal from it. I think, you know, one of the hardest things sometimes too is um, you know, when we become educated on that, you know, my parents are still unhealed, right? So it's very hard. It is very still hard for me to have an ongoing relationship uh, with them um, because they're unhealed mm-hmm. and they're, they still have that trauma and all that energy living with inside of them. And it's really hard for me to have a relationship. I can love them from afar. Right. And I can, you know, not speak ill about them anymore and, mm-hmm. and it can lose that resentment, but it's hard to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, because sure. they have so many unhealed parts, because with those unhealed parts, guess what? It's going to eventually hurt me. Right. Not that that's their intent. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and so in those situations, you know, part of what I'm hearing and like your story, and I know it to be true with other people that we've worked with, part about coming into a program is that that gift of desperation that you talk about, that surrender. And part of what we're surrendering is certain beliefs certain perceptions, certain stuck ways of thinking. We're willing to take on a new way of thinking, right? And in 12-step terms, that's called having a psychic change. In Christian terms, it's talked about having a renewing of the mind. But other people who stay in stuck thinking, like if your parents still believe a certain way and they haven't done certain work, they're not going to be able to hear or understand what you've gone through. And then you understand okay, I'm going to be limited on the relationship that I can have with them. I'm not going to have the expectation. I'm aware and I accept that that's where you're at. But the genuine acceptance is saying, I don't want to take on a resentment. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. It impacts me worse than anything. Right. right? It impacts me, but I'm willing to name it what it is. So I can now have the strength of making decisions for myself. What kind of relationship do I want to have here? Yeah. Um, the great thing is, so we just wanted to kind of overlay trauma and the impact it's had on the addiction recovery community, but we are going to spend a lot more time in future episodes uh, talking about the different modalities that you mm-hmm. do offer at Recovering the Pines and also how each one of those modalities can really help not only the mind, but also the body process a lot of that energy. Um, thank you so much for watching uh, episode three about trauma for the Recovering the Pines podcast show. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, don't forget we also record this and we show all the episodes on YouTube. Uh, Just Google in the search bar, Recovering the Pines. When you find it, hit the subscribe button, hit that little alarm notification bell as well. That That way you'll get an alert every time we upload a new episode. Thanks for watching. We'll see you back here next time.